wouldn't fool you that children are not the only ones that had a blast last week. Um, I had a great time. I know many of the adult leaders were having a great time all week long. We had so much fun. And before I move on, I want to make sure that um, we recognize all the adults and youth who came together to make last week such a huge success. If you were there to lead last week, please stand up so that we can recognize you. They did a great job. It was fantastic. And it was all under the amazing leadership of Megan Getman, our children's director. She spent many long hours organizing this so that it made it so easy for those of us who wanted to volunteer. So next year, when you're asked to volunteer, know that she will make it super easy for you and it will be so much fun. So um, I got this at Nordstrom's the other day. This is the spring 2019 fashion. No, um, I got to be one of the drama people last week, as did Jim and as did Connor. And so today we are going to present our scripture reading um, in dramatic fashion. And you're not off the hook. The congregation has a role. You are the Athenians, and when it's time for you to speak, your words will come up on the screen in yellow, and Connor will prompt you, so pay attention. Hear now a reading from Acts. So Paul found himself alone for some time in Athens. He would walk through the city feeling deeply frustrated about the abundance of idols there. As in the previous cities, he went to the synagogue, once again, he engaged in debate about Jesus with both ethnic Jews and devout Greek-born converts to Judaism. He would even wander around in the marketplace speaking with anyone he happened to meet. Eventually, he got into a debate with some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Some were dismissive from the start. What's this fast talker trying to pitch? He seems to be advocating the gods of distant lands. They said this because of what Paul had been preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. The philosophers misunderstood Paul's message. They thought he was talking about two deities. They thought he was talking about Jesus and anastasis, which is the Greek word for resurrection. This stirred their curiosity because the favorite pastime of Athenians, including the foreigners who had settled there, was conversation about new and unusual ideas. So they brought him to the rock outcropping known as the Areopagus, where Athens intellectuals regularly gathered for debate, and they invited him to speak. May we understand this new teaching of yours. It is intriguingly unusual. We would love to know his meaning. Athenians, as I have walked your streets, I have observed your strong and diverse religious ethos. You are truly a religious people. I have stopped again and again to examine the religious statues and inscriptions that fill your city. On one such altar, I read the inscription, To an unknown god? I am not here to tell you about strange foreign deity, but about this one whom you already worship, although without full knowledge. 
This is the God who made the universe and all it contains, the God who is king of the heaven and all earth. It would be illogical to assume that God of this magnitude could possibly be contained in any man-made structure, no matter how majestic. Nor would it be logical to think that this God would need human beings to provide him food and shelter. After all, he himself would have given to humans everything they need, life, breath, food, shelter. This is the only universal God, the one who makes all people, whatever their nationality or culture or religion. This God made us in all diversity from one original person, allowing each culture to have its own time to develop, giving each its own place to live and to thrive in its distinct ways. His purpose in all this was that people of every culture and religion would search for this ultimate God, grope for him in the darkness, as it were, hoping to find him. Yet in truth, God is not far away from any of us. For you know the saying, we live in God, we move in God, we exist in God, and still another, we are indeed God's children. Since this is true, since we are indeed offspring of God, God's creative act, we shouldn't think of the deity as our own artifact, Something made by our own hands, such as a great universal ultimate creator, were simply a combination of elements like gold, silver, stone. No God, no God has patiently tolerated this kind of ignorance in the past. But now God says it is time to rethink our lives and reject these unenlightened assumptions. He has fixed a day of accountability when the whole world will be justly evaluated by a new, higher standard, not by a statue, but by a living man. God selected this man and made him credible to all by rising him from the dead. When they heard that last phrase about resurrection from the dead, some shook their heads and scoffed, but others were even more curious. <clears throat> we would like you to come and speak again. Let's try that again. Okay. <laughs> we would like you to come and speak to us again. Paul left at that point, but some people followed him and came to faith, including one from Areopagus named Dionysus and a prominent woman named Damaris and others. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. <laughs> Got a rowdy bunch up here? Yeah. Woohoo! All right. <laughs> So Paul says, I am not here to tell you about a strange foreign deity. I'm here to talk to you about this one whom you already worship, though 
without full knowledge. Paul's there to teach them about the unknown God. The Athenians worship many gods. They have many idols, religious statues that are erected on altars with inscriptions that describe who they think these gods are, what they do. They glorify these gods. And Paul actually commends them for their strong religious nature, affirms their commitment to what he says God actually desires that all of us would do, that we would all pursue God, that we would seek God, seek to know God. And of all the altars that Paul runs across as he's touring Athens, the altar that best describes God, that comes the closest to the truth of God, is the altar to an unknown God. This is an altar that is inscribed to an unknown God that sits in a museum in Rome right now. We don't know that this is what Paul was talking about precisely, but it might have looked something like this. Well, at Vacation Bible School last week, we, the 80-plus adults and youth who came together um, to help out last week, at Vacation Bible School, we spent the week teaching 67 children in all the ways we could possibly imagine through um, scripture, through song, through dancing, through prayer, through crafts, through service, through games, through food, and through drama. We did all that we could to try and convey what we think we know about God. A God that's largely unknown, not just to them because they're young, but if we're being honest and have a shred of humility, that is largely unknown to us as well. Largely unknown because God can't be fully known. Paul says, in this lifetime, we see in a glass darkly. We don't fully see God revealed. And in the very instant that we begin to think that we do know God fully, that we've somehow solved this mystery, we have likely enshrined God. We've likely limited God to some finite space or idea. And then we, like the Athenians that Paul addresses in our scripture today, we have created an idol. We have created an artifact, a lifeless image that's captured in stone or marble or some precious metal, something that no longer is living and breathing and moving among us. We're really not all that different from the Athenians. We too have many idols. We have many gods that we worship, things that we center our lives in, that we ground our day in, things like money, things like our work, things like power, Snapchat, all those things that we focus on in our day. So as we shared what we think we know about God with all the children that God had entrusted to us last week, we tried to keep it simple. We tried to stay focused on the one thing that seems most evident and core to what we know about God, to who we believe God to be. And that was love. Yet even that knowledge, even our conviction that God loves is limited. One of the very first things that I learned in seminary was that our understanding and our language 
are so limited, they are completely insufficient for us to be able to speak fully, certainly not exhaustively, about God. Even if we think we know fully, our language is so limited we can't express it fully. I learned that there are some things we can say about God that are true, but even those truths aren't exhaustive truths about God because our understanding is so limited. So even when we say God loves, that's true. We believe that to be true about God, but our understanding of love as God knows it and expresses it and demonstrates that to us is way beyond our full comprehension. We cannot capture the full depth and breadth of God's amazing, eternal, and universal love. We just can't. So we do the best we can, right? So we shared to the best of our ability what we could about this unknown God. And we learned from Paul all throughout the week through stories that we read from the book of Acts. And so on day one, we established the basics, that God loves us all. These are some random pictures of really cute kids doing a lot of the fun things that we did in Vacation Bible School this week. They're just randomly interspersed as I'm speaking, so I'm sure I'll lose your attention here and there. <laughs> but on day one, we established that God loves all of us. And our central scripture for that day was Psalm 145.9, which says, the Lord is good to all. God has compassion on all God has made. And then we heard the story of Paul and Barnabas. I'm sure most of you have heard it. There's a story in Acts where Paul and his, his colleague Barnabas, they end up disagreeing on a, what they feel like in the moment is this critical point. They have an argument about their, um, their differences and end up parting ways. And what we learn from that scripture is that God loves each and every one of us, even those people with whom we disagree. And God is able, in God's infinite mercy and wisdom, to use all of us in different ways in ministry um, to share God's love. Then days two through four, we spent the majority of our time trying to describe this love that God has for us, this God that far exceeds our understanding. On day two, we learned that God loves us and God cares for us. Our grounding scripture was 1 Peter 5, 7. You heard it in the prayer that Kurt shared with us. Cast all your wor worries upon God because God cares for you. And then our story from Acts was the one where Paul and Silas are in prison. They're imprisoned because they continue to share the word of God even when they're not supposed to. And in the depths of this prison, it says they put them in the very lowest portion of the prison. They're in shackles. The doors are shut and locked. There's this huge earthquake that disrupts the whole foundation of the prison. The doors are flung open. Everyone's chains fall away. But what happens is Paul and Silas choosing to rely fully on God's care for them, knowing that the, the norm in Rome at that time was that if a prison guard were to lose their prisoners, the expectation was that they would take their own lives. Paul and Silas knew this, and they, demonstrating God's love by caring for this uh, jailer, 
decided to stay in the prison because they didn't want him to take his own life. And this this prison guard was so taken by this extremely generous act of kindness that he and his whole family ended up coming to believe in Christ and being baptized that very night. And then the next morning, the officials are kind of stunned by this whole occurrence, can't believe they're still there. They end up letting them go. On day three, we learn that God loves us even when it seems like nobody else does, even when we feel completely alone. Genesis 28, 15 says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And Paul and Silas that day, they're on the run from an angry mob that, that, that they have incited because they continue again to preach that Jesus is God's son, the Messiah. And as this angry mob pursues them, they are running. Of course, they feel like they have absolutely no friends right now in, in Athens. They're trying to hide and um, preserve themselves. Still, in the midst of all of that, they are assured that even though it seems like no one else cares about them, God loves them, and that gives them the confidence to continue. On day four, we learn that God loves us so much that God sent God's only son to live among us and to demonstrate that love. Of course, that's grounded in John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that God gave God's only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. On that day, the children heard today's scripture, the scripture that we just heard, and they learned that Paul persists, continues to preach this message of God's love manifest in Jesus, God's son, the Messiah, wherever he goes, even when people don't like it. And they learned that many people, because of his persistent telling of this story, did come to believe did come to receive this great love. And their lives were changed. And then finally, on day five, we learn that God loves us and God wants us to share that love with others. John 13, 34 tells us that a new command, uh, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And then Paul In our scripture in Acts, he continues on his journey, moving on from Athens to Corinth, and after that to many other places, always, always preaching this message that he is so passionate about, that he believes people have got to hear, no matter what roadblocks he encounters. He never gives up on telling people about God's love. It's essential, Paul says, we have got to share God's love. We have to tell people that God loves them and we have to demonstrate that love for them in the way that we care for them through our actions. If we don't tell people that God loves them, how are they gonna know? And knowledge of God, most essentially as this one who loves us, Every single one of us, so much that God created us and gives us life and no matter what remains with us, caring for us, even when no one else seems to, even especially when we feel completely alone, 
This message of a God who loves us so much that God sent God's only son, Jesus, to live among us, to walk with us, to express God's love not only in his words, but through all of his actions, through his ministry, through his very life, by healing and doing miracles and through his own sacrifice. This Jesus laid down his own life so that we might have life. Full, rich, faithful lives grounded in the love of God. Instead of all the idols that we have, instead of all the gods that we worship, these idols that we erect for money and power and control, instead of worshiping and honoring and praising all these gods, that we might direct all of that passion and devotion instead toward the one true God, this largely unknown God through whom, or although we cannot fully speak of him, we know loves us. This God we know loves us no matter what, more than anything else. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We are so deeply grateful for your eternal love. For a love that has created us, that has given us life, that is constantly with us, that never abandons us. We are so grateful, God, that you empower us and give us the courage to share this love with others. We're grateful for the many gifts that you give us, for all the ways that you care for us. And as we return to you today, God, out of the abundance that you have given us, as we give our offerings today, we pray that you would bless them, that you would multiply them, and that you would give us the wisdom to mobilize these gifts to best share the message with all those who have not yet heard that you love them deeply and fully. We ask this in your son, Christ, your son Jesus' name. Amen. Will the ushers please come forward?